Hey guys, welcome to Journey Podcast. I'm your host Smita Kanturi. You're going to hear a new segment in Journey Podcast as Coach It Forward. Hope you guys enjoy. When you said like here yeah, you were trying to identify your triggers. If somebody is having, let's say for example, if I'm having a trigger for whatever the reason, how to identify the trigger and how to control it? That is a great question. The way that I think about triggers if you are reacting strongly to something that doesn't really equal that kind of emotion if it's a more intense emotion than it normally should be it's being tapped by something deeper within that's stirring that up something from your past and really the only way to control it is you have to start your own healing journey and learning your own triggers because what help what what's what helps one person doesn't necessarily help the next because we're all on our own individual journeys and healing but it's to be aware of your really intense emotion and I'll give you an example my husband at one point would be like to give an example he would say um he would say honey, why don't you, why don't you um, go to the grocery store right now? Now, normally if someone says, hey, go to the grocery store, you're like, oh, well, I don't want to go right now or eh, maybe I will go. But I was, do you think you need to tell me to go to the grocery store? And like, I became so upset because I felt like what it triggered was as a kid, my mom would have me do all the shopping like all the responsibility was put on to me and i didn't feel like i had a choice to say no or yes to go to the grocery store but that simple suggestion of my husband hey do you want to go to the grocery store it was like i was pissed i was like <laughs> i was enraged i was like how dare you ask me to go to the grocery store now clearly that's not an equal reaction to what the question was so anything that you react like super strongly about just stop and say wait a second what am i really upset about right now what is really happening and i'll give you another example my husband is um wonderful um but he does have some controlling tendencies you know and this is something that we're working on and we're talking about um but there are times when uh you know he'll say something he'll say something like um well I don't you know I'm going to I'm going to go do the I'm going to go do the laundry now um but and I see that you're just sitting there on the on the iPad so do you think you want to go do something maybe you can do the dishes what what you're telling me that i need to do the dishes right now like just like don't tell me what to do <laughs> there's certain just certain things there's certain things but it's just anything that you react very strongly to that you're like wait a second harold and if it reminds you of something that's happened in the past if it reminds you if some somebody does something to you and you immediately think about someone from your past or something that happened in your past that's a connection 
that's a connection telling you that whatever this is just triggered this thought and, and that there's a connection there that you have to investigate, dig into, but kind of find out what it is, you know? Um, and it's a process though. Like I said, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You're not gonna do anything overnight, you know? One therapy session isn't going to help you uh, be aware of all of your triggers. Um, and you're not gonna learn how to control all, all of your triggers. I have to say that too. You may not be able to control all of them, but you know what, that's okay. As long as you are doing the work and you're going to therapy and you're trying to figure it out, that's all that matters because eventually you will get there. It's just everyone's journey is different. What is confidence in your words? How did you work towards your confidence? My confidence is just being who I am. All my life, I was invisible. I, no one knew how I felt. No one knew that I was hurting inside. I was always this happy-go-lucky child. And as a kid, I always loved to sing. I loved to dance, but I would mm, never do it in front of anybody. And my confidence now is just knowing who I am. I love to sing. I sing in front of anybody and everybody that I want to. I'll dance in front of anybody and everybody that I want to. You know, I'm a, I'm a jokester. I like to have a good time. It's just being who I am and knowing that that's enough. Absolutely. And you were talking about the statistics for uh, the child sexual abuse. Yes. Can you yes. please talk about it a little more? Oh my gosh, yes. So... First of all, some things to know, one in three girls and one in five boys will be victims of child sexual abuse before their 18th birthday. 90% of the time, the child knows, loves, and trusts their abuser. 95% of child sexual abuse can be prevented yes, prevented through education and awareness. And finally, with guidance and support, all victims can heal from this, um, but they need that support. They can't do it on their own. And something that's, that I really, and I know that I kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but you know, who's at risk? Let me tell you. It's children at every socioeconomic level. It is across ethnic and cultural lines. It's across religion. Uh, let me see, I have it here. Religions and at all levels of education. So in, in other words, all children <laughs> are at risk of being abused. Um, you know, and there, there are signs and symptoms that you can look for. And maybe that's something that we want to discuss in a, maybe a, a future uh, episode. We can really go into those details because um, there are a lot, of, a lot of things to look out for. Um, but, you know, the one thing that I absolutely must touch on is that when it comes to prevention, one of the first things that we can do 
as parents is not force our children to be affectionate with anyone, especially family, because that creates in that child's mind that they have no say over their own body. You have family members, you, you go to a family gathering, go hug your uncle so-and-so. It doesn't matter if you wanna hug them or not. That's where it starts. That's where children learn that they have to do whatever adults tell them to do. So we have to start now. And if our children say, no, I don't wanna hug that person, so be it. Let the children decide who they want to be affectionate with and who they don't. That is how, that is the start of prevention. Because once they own their own body, they're gonna own it as they grow, but they have to start young. Um, but it's also, you just have to learn as much as you can about sexual abuse um, to prevent it. You have to, you know, and like I said, well, I have, I have lists. <laughs> I have lists that I can go through of things, things to look out for. Um, but it's just, it's being aware of your surroundings. It's being aware of who your child is around and it's being present. It's supervising our children. It's not leaving them with strangers. It's, you know, knowing where they are, who they're with at all times. It's meeting parents before you let your children go spend the night over at someone else's house. It's, there are so many things that we can do to prevent this. There are so many things. As far as signs and symptoms, this is kind of the first thing that I wanna talk about because um, when it was happening to me, it's important to know that not all signs and symptoms apply to every child because every child is different. Um, for example, in my case, I was happy. I was go lucky. I was laughing all the time. I, that was a mask. It was a mask that I was wearing. But a lot of the times, children will display change behavior. They will become more aggressive or um, become more anxious. Um, or even really depressed all of a sudden. Um, some children will display self-harm behaviors. And this is very important. And I want, I want the parents to really listen to this. A lot of times when our kids self-harm, we say, oh, you're just doing that because you want attention. Guess what? They do. You're right. They are crying out for help. They are saying, help me, something is hurting me and I don't know how to express it other than hurting myself. So I want parents to think about that in a different light instead of, oh, you just want that for attention. Look at it as, oh my gosh, something's going, <clears throat> something's going on with my child where they are requiring my attention and not to minimize because that only makes the child feel devalued, makes them feel dismissed, like their feelings don't matter. And that's only going to make things worse for them, not help them. You wanna be mindful if a child doesn't want to be around a certain person or people. <clears throat> I mean, if, if you have a child who 
used to love to go over to the neighbor's house and go swimming or, you know, go play video games. And then all of a sudden they don't want to go over there anymore. You need to look into that. Why don't they? Because a lot of times parents start to rely on these people to take care of their children. And when the kids say, I don't want to go there anymore, they're like, oh, you just, you're just being difficult. I, I need this person. No, we have to start asking our children questions why they feel the way that they do. Something else to look out for. If your child all of a sudden has money, new toys, new clothes, and you don't know where they got it from, that's, that's a sign that something is going on, that someone could be using gifts and money and trips to basically barter with your child and their innocence. Um, regressive behaviors. If you have a child who all of a sudden starts wetting the bed again or sucking their thumb, that's something that you want to bring them to the doctor for. Why is this happening? Why, are, why have they started you know, regressing into these behaviors? Um, also not only regressive, but acting out in like reckless behaviors. Like if they're all of a sudden, <clears throat> if you've had a really chill kid who would never get on a dirt bike for the, you know, for his, to save his life because he would never do that. And then all of a sudden he's, he's like wanting to go a hundred miles an hour, you know, on a dirt bike, or you want to ask yourself, why, what is this sudden emotion and energy stemming from um and also sexualized behavior if kids are talking about sex or doing sexual behaviors with each other or or just simply know about sexual topics that's inappropriate for their age that's a red flag where did they learn that information from? Who taught that to them and why? Because you need to know who your children are around, what they are saying to them and what they're taking from them. It's so important. And one other thing, the last thing to look out for as far as signs and symptoms is if your child, if it looks like they're in pain when they're sitting, or if they're in pain when they're going to the bathroom, or uh, if they're riding a bike and they're talking about they have a lot of pain, that's something that you just want to investigate a little bit. Could be as simple as just need an adjustment on the seat, sure. <laughs> but it could also be something more sinister and dark. And that's what we have to be on the lookout for. Instead of saying, Instead of assuming that it's the last case scenario, we should start assuming it's the first case until we say, no, that's not it. We need to rule it out yeah. before anything else. Um, so as you can see, there are so many signs and symptoms. And like I said, not every child will um, display every one. Um, but it, it at least gives you something to look out for, to, um, to be mindful about, to, you know, just, just to be, be aware. 
I just hope every parent has a baseline reading of their children. And what I mean by that is, you know how your child is on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, you, you know your child and you follow that baseline. If that baseline changes, that's when we need to look into what's going on and what could be causing it. Because it could be, it could be something as simple as they're having issues at school, or it could be something as tragic as they're being sexually abused. But we never want to assume either way. Yeah. We just have to, we have to ask the questions until, until we know. Um, and as, as far as like, and perpetrators reveal themselves more than people realize. And sometimes people are just blind to it because they're like, oh no, that's somebody I know. They would never do this. They would never do that. Never, never. You know, and some, some things to look out for, if, you know, that a perpetrator could possibly be grooming a child is, you know, do you notice an adult that's just paying a little bit too much attention to an emotionally needy child? You notice an adult who just, as soon as the child is, you know, needs something that they're right there, just it's odd. If it's not their parents, you know, it, it, unusual. Perpetrators will accidentally expose themselves, whether it's the whether it be they're changing or they're in the pool, and then all of a sudden, oops, I don't know how that happened. You know, if you ever notice that that's happened around your child, that that's actually a grooming technique used by adults to desensitize the children into what it is that they want to eventually introduce them to. Um, if somebody, and this was actually a red flag that my, that my uncle displayed, um, openly praising nudity as normal. My uncle would say, I don't know why you girls are worried about your, your breasts hanging out. Nudity, you know, you should, nudity's normal. Nudity's beautiful. The almost encouraging, you know, that kind of, you know, you don't need to wear that, that, that whole piece bathing suit. You can wear that bikini. It's just, it's just ways to normalize nudity for when they decide that they want to yeah. <laughs> do that to your child. <clears throat> and I, I touched on like giving gifts and money and special trips. And this was something else that was a red flag in my life. Um, one of my perpetrators would bring me toys. He would bring me money. He would buy me clothes. And my mom just thought, oh, that's just a nice guy. He's just a nice guy buying things for, for my kids. He's just, must, you know, that just must be how he is. No, he was a perpetrator. He was grooming me. He wanted me to want to be around him. And what is going to make a kid want to be around an adult more than every time you see them, if they have a gift, you're looking forward to seeing them like, oh, yay, I get to see this person. That's how it starts as they gain that trust and that love from you before they destroy you, basically. Um, if an adult engages in tickling and wrestling, no, let me just say, we all tickle our kids and wrestle around with our kids. But if you notice that that's their preferred way to engage with this child, 
where they're always tickling them or always wrestling, it's a red flag. That's something to look out for because it could just be a way of accidentally, accidentally touching areas, accidentally rubbing areas, you know, because they're just wrestling and tickling and it's just an accident to the kid, right? Um, this is something else that happened to me as a child that was a red flag. Um, if an adult wants to show your children um, adult films um, or magazines, that's another red flag. Again, desensitizing them to adult things by showing them this, these things. And the more you show them, the more comfortable they become with it and the more vulnerable they become. Again, this was also a red flag. And as I read this and I'm going through this, I'm like, dang, mom, <laughs> so many of these. So asking the child, if you have an adult asking a child about their sexual development or, um, or anything sexual that's inappropriate, one of my perpetrators, you know, made the comment about my breasts feeling out, filling out. That's like completely inappropriate to an 11 year old. And my mom was standing right there instead of her saying, no, 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 no. You don't say that to my daughter. You don't need to look at her that way. She made it a joke and she laughed. And, and then I laughed because if mom's not mad, why should I be mad? And then again, it normalizes, oh, it's okay for an adult to talk about my body. Yeah, that's okay. Mom said it was okay. So there are just, there are so many, there are so many red flags that we have to be vigilant about and, and be aware of. Um, but it's all about, it's all about prevention. And this is where I hope everyone is listening and making notes, writing notes, <laughs> you know, recording this or whatever. I want to talk about some prevention. And I've already mentioned you never, ever, ever make a child hug an adult, especially family, especially family. And I know that's going to be difficult for some people to hear. What do you mean, especially family? Isn't family the people that you're supposed to hug on the most? No, no, not necessarily. Not if a child doesn't want to hug somebody. You just don't do that. Um, so we talked a, just a little bit about why people become perpetrators. But before we even get to that, here are some things that parents can do. They need to teach these five safety boundary rules to their children. Number one, no one can look at the private parts of your body. No one can look at the private parts of your body. Number two, no one can ask you to look at their private parts on their body. Number three, no one should touch the private parts on your body. Number four, no one should ask you to touch the private parts on their body. And number five, no one should show you private 
show you pictures of private parts or ask you to show them pictures of private parts. So those are very basic, very basic, but powerful because you have to be direct with the kids and let them know that this is their body. And sexual abuse comes in all forms. It's not just physical touch. It's, it's you know, showing them adult magazines or adult films. That's abuse. That's abuse to a child. Um, so those are five things. Now, this next thing is a little bit more involved. So I'll just, basically everyone wants to build a plan for sexual abuse prevention. And when I say plan, I need to say that this is taken from uh, laurenskids.org. Uh, Lawrence Kids is an organization um, that is very near and dear to my heart. Um, so I do use a lot of their resources when I'm talking um, about prevention. Um, and when I say plan, I want you to write this out. P-L-A-N, plan. The P in plan is permission. Teach your child that they should always, always have permission. Let me open this up so I can read it better. There we go. Teach your child that they should always have permission from the trusted adult who is in charge before they go anywhere or do anything. So this is prevention like you're in your home, how where it starts. Your child has to ask permission from you before they go anywhere. They can never just, sure, go out and about wherever you want to go. L is for location. Before going anywhere, it is important for a child to tell, to tell their trusted adult the location where they will be. And this is a very important step because if the location changes, your child must begin the plan process all over again. Meaning if they change locations, they've got to now call the parents and say, okay, I'm now at this location. This is who I'm with. It starts all over. A is for activity. More specific than location, A in plans tells the trusted adult about the activity the child will be doing. So you want to know, are they going to a, um, are they going to a theme park? Are they going to the park? Are they going uh, to the movies? You just want to know where they're going to be at all times. And then finally, for the end, it's names and numbers. All children should have at least three names and numbers of a trusted adult that they can reach out to in the event that they are in a dangerous situation or harmed. And with these four steps, that is the foundation to creating prevention because it's all about being aware of where your child is, who is around them, who has access to them and what they are doing. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And, you know, the final thing that I really want to say about this is, and this goes kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier. We need to keep the lines of communication open with our children. They need to know that they can come to us and talk to us about anything and everything and that there's absolutely nothing off limits. Yep. 
and that's why it's so sad when you share the story of your mom that you didn't feel like you could share with her because she was like, well, all these years later, now you come, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We all deserve to be protected. We all deserve as children to be protected. We all deserve to be without sexual violence. Um, but it starts within the home and preventing it from there. And it's important that they know that they can tell you anything from a bad dream to a fight with a friend to, and be specific to if anyone ever touches you in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable. Make it direct, make it so they know that that's off limits, that that's something that, mm, no, that's not supposed to be going on. We just have to keep the, the lines of communication open. And if you have a child that does disclose, I beg you, please, please be supportive. And here are a couple of ways that you can do that. When they tell you what happened to them, simply say, I believe you. I believe you because that goes such a long way because that is the biggest fear that victims have. What if they don't believe me? And that's what prevents many kids from coming forward because they're afraid that they're not going to be believed. Something else is you want them to know that you're glad that they told you. Don't make it seem like, oh, I can't believe you telling me this. I can't believe, oh, no. I am so glad you told me this. I am so glad. And it took a lot of courage to tell me. Let them know how brave it is that they told you, because it is. It takes a lot of courage for children to admit um, to being victimized. And the last thing that you can really do is let your child know that we'll work together on this. We're gonna do this together. I am going to do whatever I can do to help you. But it's also important that you let your child know that you do have to tell other people because that's how, you know, you have to tell other people so that they can get justice for what has happened to them. Because a lot of people, oh, I'm gonna tell you, but you can't tell anybody else. I'm gonna tell you, but you can't go get help. I'm gonna, no, you have, they have to know that that's part of it. That's part of the step of helping them is to get other people involved. And so I hope with these um, techniques that I've shared with you, the prevention tips that I've shared with you, and some of the surprising statistics that it will really open the eyes of, a, of many people um, that still to this day, it's like society is so afraid to talk about child sexual abuse. They're so afraid unless you're a celebrity or unless it's some big story that everybody wants to know about it. And that's why I'm here. I'm here to change that narrative. I'm here to say, no, I'm not a celebrity. I'm not some rich and famous person, but my story still matters. I'm still a worthy, valuable human being that didn't deserve that. 
and I don't deserve less recognition or less media or less press for the simple fact that I'm not a celebrity. I'm a human and that should be enough. Okay, thank you for tuning in and you can find me on all the socials at Smitha Gunturi and the show notes for any resources mentioned. See you next week. Take care.